Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another special episode of the Media Boat Podcast, part of our year-end roundups where we've talked about music, talked about video games, and today we get to talk about television. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. Thank you for joining us for the year-end wrap-up, not roundup, although year-end roundup, we might want to use that next year. We could have like a whole cowboy theme. We could both wear hats. Hey, I'm already in an ugly sweater theme, okay? Yeah, you, one theme at a one time. theme at a time, exactly. Um, but yeah, as, as you said, today is television, so we'll be doing the same thing we've done with the other categories, which is give you a recap of the year in news. Then pick a news story that we think is the biggest news story of the year. I have an idea of what that might be this year. And then our <laughs> top five list of our favorite shows of the year. And then crowning a number one show for the Media Boat Podcast, which again, I think is pretty easy this year. So without further ado, let's go back in the Wayback Machine back to January of 2023. And we're back in January and we start with a couple of wrap-up notes from the previous year, including Adult Swim officially cutting tides with Justin Roiland. Uh, from his scandal over there. Um, and then Amazon cutting ties with Jeremy Clarkson with his <laughs> scandal over there as well. Yeah, just guys getting their comeuppance for making terrible decisions in the past. Finally, you love to see it. Oh, yeah. And don't forget about Billy Bush also cutting <laughs> ties with Extra for his stuff in the past as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in a little bit of awards notes, uh, the Golden Globes, may they rest in peace for now. Uh, the House of Dragon, Abbott Elementary, and the White Lotus won their own respective series. And nobody watched it. Well, we watched the shows, but not, not the Golden, Golden Globe, Globe shows. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to February where, hey, you just mentioned this. And I forgot that we reported on this way back at the beginning of the year. Um, about Paramount Plus rebranding its Showtime linear cable uh, pay TV with as Paramount Plus with showtime of all the network names in the history of naming networks that's probably and there have been quite a lot of network lot. names that's probably one of the worst i've ever heard because <laughs> it doesn't mean anything it's like a streaming service plus with a network that you're familiar with it's like wait what what is what am i watching here so i guess what this will be is that they'll just show the currently running Showtime programming. And then on top of that, stick in occasional shows that got their Paramount start on Plus Paramount exclusives. Plus. So this is where probably Yellowstone, everybody's favorite old man drama, will show up. And also all those Star Trek spinoffs yeah. showing up. So yeah, like Picard and mm-hmm. Lower Decks and all sorts of things, yes. Yep. Uh, we also had news that CBS would be ending the late late show franchise after almost three decades as um james corden would indeed be the last host of that <laughs> show yes poor went out for james corden he no longer has a day job but i'm sure he'll figure it out i would say he drove would drives off into the sunset but really <laughs> we all know he's singing karaoke in that car yeah, he carpools off into the sunset <laughs> really yes singing yes. all along uh which we would i mean we'll get to it later but that eventually would get replaced in the year and then, oh, yeah, speaking of Paramount Plus on Showtime, uh, 
Warner Brothers Discovery had the similar idea to put HBO products on TNT mm-hmm. as Warner Brothers Discovery merger wants more people watching their shit. This wouldn't be the first time they've done this. They made similar details in the uh, uh, deals in the past, including Sex in the City on E. They've mm-hmm. shown uh, cut up edited versions of The Sopranos on networks before. So this isn't the first time it's happened, but it makes sense for what their current strategy is right now, which is take advantage of popular brands and literally just tax right off everything else. And literally don't create new content. Right. Just show what you already have. New scripts? Who wants those? Throw them in the fire. <laughs> What's the old adage? If you haven't seen it before, it's new to you. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a whole company based on the must-see TV taglines. <laughs> Where they assume you must see their TV. <laughs> uh, oh, and speaking of Warner Brothers Discovery, they did file that lawsuit against Paramount. Yes, both those companies that we just talked about, uh, about reining in on parts of the $500 million licensing deal <laughs> for South Park. This is a recurring story throughout the year. And it's still entertaining to this day. The, the You know, say what you will about South Park and its quality and whether it was ever good. Uh, but what I will say is that that, that uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone really know how to s- squeeze money out of corporations because they managed <laughs> to bamboozle two corporations uh, through through uh, South Park distribution, and it just continues to create headlines. It's, it's very funny to me. Well, it's funny because even though South Park is at the center of it, they are not involved in either of these lawsuits, these big <laughs> corporations fighting over uh, who gets to show what and when. Right. Uh, let's see, let me get into March, where we had our first inkling of a strike, but not here. No, this is the BBC employees, as they staged their biggest strike in 13 years over protests on the corporation's changes to the local content in England, more specifically, the lack of funding for uh, Channel 4 and their radio organizations. Right, yes. So the conservative-led... Uh, government in the UK is trying to crack down on public institutions such as the BBC, which is still to this day funded by the public. It is a government and institution. like you, yes. Yeah. And so unlike our uh, public television, which has to basically beg hand like knee like hand like like with their knees on the ground for people to support them because the government doesn't actually put enough money in, the BBC is largely funded by their government, except. If the government starts making cuts and changes the content, you get strikes like this. You get public outcry because it feels like it's owned by the people of the country. And so they feel like they have a need to fight back against those kind of cuts. So, yeah, this was cool to see. And yeah, as you mentioned, it did give a kind of hint towards the um, the year of labor uh, that would kind of fill up the rest of the rest of 2023. Yeah, as we get into it. And they specifically did these strikes um, as a precursor to the crowning jewel, sorry, the jewel crowning of mm-hmm. England in mm-hmm. King Charles. Yes. Which is weird to say king in England now. Mm-hmm. Still still weird. But yeah. God coronation save the king. Day, if you will. Yeah, court- yes, but not like happy coronation day because <laughs> the parents died. Technically, it is because the parents died, though. I was going to say, yeah, the, the kind of similar situation <laughs> there. Um, <laughs> yes. 
except uh, less musicals. I was going to say, if they don't, they might not have 8,000 salad plates, but I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. This is, by the way, the second time I made this joke today, believe it or not. It came up this morning, too. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, speaking of strikes, uh, SNL. Yeah, we'll get to that one yet. But <laughs> SNL, uh, post-production editors were ready to strike as after they became part of Yahtzee Local 700. The following week, they would garner a new three-year deal with the increased pay of up to 60%. Yeah, you always love to see um, crews joining Yahtzee, especially crews of a storied uh, program like SNL. Yeah, they deserve it. They work really, really hard on that show. Um, like, it's insane what they can pull off on live television, one of the few live non-sports programs left. That's not a news program, too, I guess. And the fact that they can pull it off every Saturday with very few hitches that's a crew that needs union benefits right there. <laughs> uh, and oh, kind of local news, but also established like precedent. The Price is Right, leaving stu- uh, Television City as, as it would get a $2 billion remodel mm-hmm. in the heart of L.A. Goes to show you that Price is Right, not slowing, it's not slowing down anytime soon, is still a daytime institution. And mm-hmm. it will continue to be so. Uh, also, have you seen pictures of Drew Carey recently? Um, he's older. He's got the beard now. Yeah, he's got a beard now. Yeah. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> I don't I know. That happened saw, after his him, surgery. Yeah, we saw him recently, like a few, like a week ago or so, and I was just like, we were just both like, like that's what Drew Drew Carey looks like now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Just out there, if you haven't seen a picture of him yet, look him up. Out there matching the look of his audience. <laughs> wow. Burn. On Don't forget all audience. those high school students <laughs> that are homesick from school. They watch Price is Right as well. Not just Right, like, when the internet's not working. Oh, I guess maybe times have changed, haven't they? Are they yes, watching they like YouTube's, YouTube and TikTok all day now? Like, Is that yeah. the Price is Right on the couch thing not a thing anymore? It's oh, not God. a thing anymore. Not since the internet. Dude. It's a tradition. Now, at least tell me that they have it bam, in the background while they have Probably on the hands. background, then yes. Yeah, but otherwise, at YouTube. Yes, right. At least assure me that it's still in the room. <laughs> yes, it is still in the room of the old folks' home. <laughs> Damn. 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 Coming, coming to get those uh, prices, right? Old folks, aren't you? Anyways. Anyways, uh, then we get into baseball season, and one yes. of the big stories of the year was. Diamond Sports Group. Now, I don't usually, we don't usually do a separate sports story and a separate in, in a television story. And even this is probably not the sports story of the year. We'll get to that in December. Uh, but yes, um, this one was crazy to watch and has actual implications for how we watch baseball. Yeah, the Sinclair subsidy, which controlled the regional sports network for 42 teams across the MLB, NHL, and NBA announced that it would file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and we would see that unfold throughout the courts as Diamond Sports Group would eventually lose a lot of those licenses over the course of the year. It's an interesting story on two levels, because it's an interesting story if you watch a team that is shown on Valley Sports, but it's also an interesting story in a broader way because of the conversation it actually had, like, started even with the league itself, about blackout dates you had that quote early on in the calendar year i don't remember exactly when it was said 
by the commissioner where the commissioner himself said that they were looking into having a discussion about blackout blackouts for for television uh and yeah it makes you think like wait so something like this had to happen for them the league to wake up and realize we need to have a backup plan and sure enough they had to use one of those backup plan levers later in the year when was it the padres pulled out yeah, they let go of the Padres. Yep. and so they all of a sudden the league had to be like i don't know you can watch them on youtube i guess and kind of had to like pull the emergency ripcord because they didn't have any other solution and i think that stuff like that is going to be more common especially when valley's certainly going to or the diamond sports the sports group is going to have to make a decision pretty soon here about whether they keep paying for those deals i mean right now currently as we're recording this the mlb is in the off season but March is only three months away. It's soon. Um, by the end of that month, they're going to have to have some sort of solution, even for spring training games, because spring training games are also occasionally shown on the Valley Networks. So mm -hmm. they're going to have to really think about this soon, and they're going to have to make a decision. And the league is also going to have to make a decision about blackout days, because as we talked about, and we'll bring up probably when we talk about the December stories, the fact that Dodgers games are locked in that Spectrum deal is going to alienate so many people here in Los Angeles. The fact that they can't just watch their local television show or television station and watch Dodgers games is going to break a lot of people's brains because they're going to want to see Otani. They're going to mm -hmm. want to see Otani play. And the fact that you have to subscribe to a full cable package with Spectrum to see Otani play. Oh, no, no. It's a full cable package. Plus sports plus the, package. Plus the sports package. Add on. Yes. It's like, it's obnoxious. No one's going to want to play pay $150 to $200 a month to watch. $256 a month. $256 a month? Yep. Oh, that's uh, after your your two-year uh, special agreement oh. ends. Yeah, and that's probably not even including the rental like for the actual box, isn't it? Like, they probably nope, nickel and dime you every step of the way. actually 10 bucks a month. Oh my God. So yeah, like that's the tax then to pay Otani, like to watch Otani. Like, mm -hmm. no, I'm sorry. They're going to have, the league is going to have to really think about blackout date, like blackout, not blackout dates. What's the word I'm lo losing there? Blackout, I don't know, games? It's, don't know. it's just, it's just blackout. Yeah, blackout. They really have to gonna have to reconsider how that works because MLB TV is a wonderful product. Trust me, I've had, I had it and it's great. I love the, the freedom of being able to watch anything but your local team and that sucks because that's what most people want right is there's like no way you can go out and like say you're from like a different area to in order to right. get that uh... i mean there's ways it's not, <laughs> i'm not saying there's no ways but the average person isn't going to want to figure out how a vpn works i'm just your average older viewer who's been exactly. watching the dodgers for years yeah isn't, isn't going, going to want to or want know to how to do that and the argument that the league used to have, which is, well, it's supposed to get people out to the ballpark. Dude, those games are going to sell out and they're going to sell out fast, regardless of whether or not they're a blackout on your MLB TV. Not to mention prices going up. Prices are going up. Like the average person is also not going to be able to afford to see Otani play in person. It's just it's a recipe for disaster for, for Dodgers fans. And of course, I really don't have much affinity for Dodgers fans. However, I like baseball and they like baseball. And that is where I'm coming from here. If you like baseball and you want to watch your team play and you want to watch one of the best baseball players of all time play, you're going to get shafted. And they, the league has to consider how they can make it easier for that time. Well, they, well they, first of all, they have to try and make it easier for streaming because 
Apple, who used to do the Friday night baseball mm-hmm. games, announced that they would no longer do it for free and that you had to be a paid member to yeah. Apple TV Plus to watch those Friday night baseball games. I mean, I understand why you would eventually do this because it does act as a Trojan horse to get me more people on the actually very good streaming service, Apple TV Plus. More people need to realize that there's a lot of stuff buried in there that's really great, especially mm-hmm. if you have kids. Like, we, I haven't talked about this a lot on the show because it's not really our demographic, but the kids programming on Apple TV Plus is excellent. There's some great kids shows on there. So if you have kids, 100%, like Shape Island by itself is just such a wonderful kid show the frog and toad adaptation that they have is great there's so many there's also a bunch of like live action disney style sitcoms that seem like they're pretty good for the for for their audience like there's some stuff on this on a disney on apple tv plus that's worth excavating out uh that's worth worth your time so oh, as that it makes sense. <laughs> yeah at that at that level it makes sense you want people to join on to your thing but at the same time you're right it expresses a larger problem with the league that they keep making these exclusive deals and it means less people fewer people can actually watch baseball games in a time where you think they would want to expand the audience but i don't know what do i know what do i know we were not here to talk about (laughs) sports though yeah that was your sports quarter in Mm -hmm. the tv Mm wrap-up all right uh so let's move on then into april where we had the First official announcement of Scott Pilgrim versus the World coming to Netflix. And yeah. Well, we'll be the last time we'll talk about it here. Yeah, we'll mention it a lot later. <laughs> yes. Uh, but what we won't mention is the next three people because they have all been let go from their respective uh yeah. designations. First being Mike Fleece from The Bachelor, former creator of The Bachelor, who was let go after an internal investigation, found he there was uh, more than enough uh, racial discrimination happening under his tutelage. Yeah, I mean, this isn't super surprising. Um, we're we're like we're just recently here in this household getting into the Bachelor franchise, Bachelor Nation, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's very easy to see it's a franchise that is fraught in the history of yeah, mostly featuring white people. Let's be real. And so it's not super surprising that the guy who used to run the whole thing was a little racist. Yeah, of course he was. It's it's it, proof is in the pudding, as they say. I mean, I think that with his ouster, I think it'll be a little easier to get a more diverse cast. We'll be I'll be especially interested in seeing how they cast the upcoming Bachelor, uh, which mm-hmm. will be the next uh, which will be the next uh, show, and I believe that premieres in January. Um, so yeah, announced him. He's uh, a well, player. no, I I mean not the Bachelor person. I mean the show, like how they oh. cast the 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 women. Of the show already in the in the clips they were heavily featuring uh minority uh contestants so like i noticed that right away i was like oh wow okay there's this this asian woman is prominently featured in the clips and i'm like okay great awesome they're doing maybe they're doing the work like that'd be really cool to see and yeah it's good to see a guy who had a pattern of uh discrimination like get, get kicked just kicked out out of the show because yeah i think that it works best when you do have a wide variety of people to pick from. I mean, that's what dating is, right? Like, mm-hmm. might as well reflect that on the dating show. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just an app. I mean, yeah. Yes. Um, also being ousted. Raise, raise the right banners. It's finally happened. Tucker Carlson out at Fox News. Man, good riddance. Like, that guy. 
I mean, he didn't really go away, though. I think it's important to know. Well, no, he's no. like tried to. He's on like the yeah. what? Oh, OAN. Yeah, he like, went to some other station. He also made like a big YouTube channel like thing for himself. I think he's just launching a podcast. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. hard to escape Tucker Carlson, even if he's not on Fox News anymore. But yeah, it seems right. like his that was... shtick, uh, yeah, is thankfully at least off of the air, like that airwave, I guess. Well, because that was all part of the uh, Fox News billion dollar lawsuit from Dominion yes. that they lo- they lost. They probably couldn't pay him anymore. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, following that, CNN terminated Don Lemon after 17 years following his own, I want to say it was also sexual um, uh, discrimination. Yes, I, I don't remember exactly. I don't want to say anything uh, that may incriminate him accidentally. But right. yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the situation was. But yeah, he's also uh, seems to have like took a turn for the worse after in the uh, months following his termination. <laughs> well, because they announced that like literally like within hours of Tucker Carlson being right. announced back because back. they're trying to like just like, oh, he's going to get the big news. We'll just have this sweeped up right now. Mm. I mean, at the network for 17 years, I guess maybe it mattered to some people, but I don't know. It seems like maybe he wasn't the greatest guy either. Speaking of guys who weren't great, <laughs> Vince McMahon officially sold the WWE to Endeavor Group Holdings, meaning that both the WWE and UFC are now <laughs> merging to form a $21 billion global live sports entertainment company. I like how this sounds big, but it's changed literally nothing. It's just easier for <laughs> UFC people to come over to the WWE. Right, but they already were, though. It's like there's already seems yes, they to were. be a bridge between the two franchises. That hasn't really... Like, has it sped up? As someone who watches a lot of wrestling, can you tell me if this is sped up? Like, there are more UFC interaction? Do they advertise UFC Actually, no, because during... after this happened, a lot of talent yeah. from the WWE was cut because of this. Ooh. So it's like the Which, opposite who, actually happened. Yeah, who then made their way over to AEW. Uh-huh. And then, yeah. as we get to the end of the year, some of them eventually made their way back to like, oh, yeah, we're not a wrestling podcast, but yeah, we could we could probably carve out a whole like i I would love to get your opinion about that whole drama um <laughs> because I've heard some opinions from other people. I don't watch wrestling myself, but it seems like that's a weird situation. It is definitely a weird situation, um especially since since this merger, it seems like they've had a tournament once a month in order to draw in both the pay-per-view crowd and overseas crowd and the Peacock crowd. Yes. So it seems like, yes, good for business, $21 billion merger, but also we want to make that money back now. So we're going to run you all into the ground. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, And then um, we lastly had uh, HBO Max and Discovery Plus officially announcing that they would merge into Max on May 23rd. Speaking of things that haven't really changed much, uh, beyond the, you know, the Zoslovness of all cutting and weird removal of shows that you thought were going to be there forever and a terrible interface, um, really the change from HBO Max to Max hasn't changed a whole lot of actually how it works. Um, I mean, if you love watching Food Network shows, at least they're all there and you don't have to pay an extra uh, whatever cost it was to watch them. That's kind of nice. It's $10 a month, yeah. It's just all rolled right into it, so that was nice. We were watching a lot nice. more Guy Theory stuff and yeah. cooking, baking championships because of yeah. it. Yeah, It's glad that they just put the entire back catalogs on there and just, boom, where you go. 
Y'all watch um, um, Selena and Chef? No, but we did you watch should. food trucks. You should watch. Yes, I know you, you love the food trucks, but no, you should watch Selena. Plus but see, Chef that but that was Chef. already an HBO Max original. Yeah, it was already before. Why I mention it is because right now they're doing a uh, like a special holiday season right now that's oh, okay. also airing on Food Network. And uh, yeah, you guys should check it out. It's very cute. Okay. Selena is sometimes good and sometimes very, very bad. It's very fun to watch. Also, you get to learn all her weird, like eclectic group of normie friends, <laughs> which are like, they're not famous and they're just like kind of there. It's very funny. <laughs> and then nothing else of note happened in April. Mm, I think you're missing something. Oh, see, I thought we were both going to drink right there. That's <laughs> You stopped short. <laughs> well, sure. I, you have to let me know when you're going to do a bit. I don't know. Like, well, I see, don't... I saw you reach for it. So that's what I was doing. You're just like, okay, drink. And then we're just going to pause here and then come back and be like, oh, wait. I think you caught me off guard, though. Uh, but anyways, yes. Uh, let's get to Let's get to it because this is going to be the thing. All right. So at the end of April the Writers Guild of America members officially voted overwhelmingly. Yes. And by overwhelmingly, I mean 98% approval of a strike authorization should they not be able to strike a deal. Yes, of course, this did eventually lead to a strike, one that lasted way longer than most people thought. And yeah, it kind of reframed the 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 television industry and the movie industry for the entire year and also the future 2024's release calendar is going to be directly affected by this and yeah it was the first strike of its kind since the one in 2008 uh which we lived through and saw the repercussions of that as well um except twice as long right almost twice as long and then yep, like almost twice just, as long and probably more brutal um it definitely seemed like it was never going to end for a while We'll probably talk about it a little bit more later, perhaps after we finish wrapping up the year. Uh, but yes, um, it definitely colored the whole industry for a very long time. So when the strike officially happened in May, uh, some of the main sticking points, actually one of the main sticking points was the cost of streaming and how writers were being paid, specifically because you don't really do residuals and restreaming that uh, when you, sorry, uh, second showings when yes. you do a streaming video on demand style. Right. Um, as such, Drew Barrymore stepped down as the MTV Movie Video Awards host. Won't, won't be the last time we're talking about her. Nope. NBC canceled the remaining shows of SNL for the rest of the year. And then um, all of Late Night shut down literally all at once. Yeah. Um, Until they decided with, to do a podcast later. Yes, um, <laughs> for all of three episodes. Yeah, um, but at least during that um, during the strike uh, for late night, because they're backed heavily by writers yeah. uh, who make up all that content. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, and Seth Meyers would pay their staff through the strike. I believe um, Jimmy Kimmel and uh, John Oliver also joined that train yeah. as well. Uh, but then we got the WEA picketing at Boston University uh, because the 2023 commencement speaker would be none other than the hero and savior of, uh, I guess, Max now, himself, <laughs> CEO David Zaslav and his axe. Uh, but yeah, they picketed uh, because the 
chancellor of Boston University, would not change his opinion of, of allowing him to speak. Yeah. Uh, but hey, speaking of Zaslav and his acts, it's not the only one who cut content as Disney started pulling its content from streaming with dozens of series and specials, which were slated to leave both Disney Plus and Hulu. Yeah, so real briefly, um, so we don't have to have this conversation later. I think that the biggest runner-up for story of the year, in my opinion, in television, is the drastic fall of the streaming empire. 2023, mm-hmm. we already had like seeds planted in 2022, but 23 was the year where I think all the corporations realized all at once, hey, maybe streaming doesn't work like we thought it was going to. I think they all like basically looked at their their like their numbers and just decided, well, this doesn't make us money hand over fist like we thought it was going to. What what the hell? And so they decided to instead of building upon the streaming services and making them better, they decided to instead make them way worse and crank up the the costs on them, which is double bad for the consumers who actually watch it. They basically decided that streaming was not this cash cow, and thus they're punishing the viewers. Because they, I guess, didn't watch it enough? I don't know. It's such a weird venture capitalist nightmare that streaming has become, and it's really come to a head this year. I mean, it's great when you start from zero income and get billions of income or hundreds of millions of income, but then your income gets to a certain level and then doesn't continuously exponentially grow. Right, yeah. Um, Then you have to look at, well, is it the quality or is it the quantity? Yeah. And you go, well, it can't be the quality because we just keep pumping out shows <laughs> and they keep watching them. So it has to be the quantity, right? Right. It's just, it's Not absurd. Why would it's we just, pay you for quality when we have a, quantity? It's a fundamental misunderstanding uh, of how people watch streaming television. Mm-hmm. It's they, they care about the stuff that the audience doesn't care about and vice versa. Like they they just assume that viewers are going to attract be attracted to things that they're definitely not attracted to, even though the numbers are there and they see them. In fact, I did not actually have time to take a look at this, but Netflix did release their audience numbers. Um, you can actually go into their website and download an entire like sheet of like what was watched and how many people watched it. And there's some crazy stats in that thing that really reveal what people are doing. More people watch anime apparently on Netflix than literally anything else mm-hmm. like some of the shows on like in the top 10 are like just a- like back catalog anime stuff and they're getting like two times as many viewers as stuff like you know netflix originals are like like it's just absurd and the companies instead of focusing on what works and giving viewers more of that they're so concerned that like oh well like you said the money's not exponentially increasing so I don't know. Let's just stop spending altogether and start taking shows off the platform and just like make giving no incentive for people to one, stick around or two, tell their friends to join. It's anti-consumer in the biggest way. And it's just obnoxious that we got here. And yeah, eventually we will just get to cable again, because that's, I think, what they're all realizing is that this quote unquote experiment failed by their rules, not ours. (laughs) And it's just, yeah, it's just it's been wild just to watch it all crumble. Well, I mean, you also had Netflix cracking down on its password sharing. Yeah. Both first outside the U.S. and then more recently in the U.S. as well. Yeah, which I don't know. It seems like desperate grasping at straws because they're worried. They're they're willing to nitpick the small little poss- possible losses of money instead of thinking about the bigger picture. 
And this is just an example of that nitpicking. Speaking of looking at the bigger picture, as we get got into June, the PGA decided that they liked money more than they liked their morals mm-hmm. and officially joined the DP World Tour and the Public Investment Fund, being the Saudi Arabia Public yes. Investment Fund, yes. to announce a deal that would unify the game of golf, combining PGA and Live Golf into the yet-to-be-named World Golf Tour Company. Yeah, this was, this was like you said, a questionable choice to make considering the politics of all of it. But as you said, money talks. And also it seems like the PGA got their side of the deal pretty much ironed out because their leadership is going to be the ones at the head of this. And so it does seem like they are like for now, largely until yeah, they now. get pushed out. <laughs> like, yeah, it seems like, like they're largely. Who does not see this coming of, right. of people being instilled within the PGA <laughs> to agree with the Saudi Arabia side and, eventually like call out whoever's currently in charge saying your way of thinking is old we need new yeah. fresh blood and my new fresh blood says the saudi's money speaks volumes to me i mean to me this isn't super surprising on an even bigger uh picture note because golf as a sport is a fairly conservative old man kind of game like mm-hmm. this is the people who run it it's the people who watch it present company excluded uh, <laughs> like because i know you like your golf i get it but at the same time though like traditionally it is very very conservative kind of thing so it doesn't super surprise me that this is that this is a money first organization and that they're going to make calls like this um that are not super like cognizant of including all possible viewers opinions <laughs> <laughs> This is the uh, same sport that gave you exclusionary country clubs. So, you know, and badly used um, um, uh, public public water and uh, utilities, you know, stuff like that. Golf. It's great, golf. isn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, but hey, at least what's great, or may or may not be great, Pat Sejak decided <laughs> that he would be leaving Wheel of Fortune after the upcoming year, his 41st season would indeed be his last. I love this story because it's so funny. Like, you can easily take the temperature of what people think about Pat Sajak that by the reaction of this story, which was, eh. Like, it was just like a collective shrug. Everybody was like, oh, he's leaving? Okay. Nobody really likes Pat Sajak. He's kind of a jerk. Apparently, he's a weird guy. Also, everybody's there for Vanna White. Like, nobody's there for Pat Sajak. So, like, yeah, this was a long time coming. Get that guy out of it. Um, however, later in the year, they would announce that Ryan Seacrest is his replacement. Yep. So that's, I guess, Ryan Seacrest's retirement, uh, like, ripcord, right? Is that he's, like, probably, since this is a daily job, this will probably lead to him leaving his current shows, his morning shows and his e-appearances and all the other like the red carpet stuff what do you mean they shoot will fortune back to back to back to back (laughs) yeah like but for six months that's still like half of the year yeah so i think yeah yeah, i think you see less of ryan seacrest and this is like i said this is his road to retirement i think this is his cushy job that he uses to gracefully age into his second half of his career which i think is a good move this is how he stays within the ABC network yeah. and keep running Dick Clark Productions at under Brian <laughs> Seacrest. Yeah, that's the thing is he can kind of focus on production, which is a role he's really been excelling at in the last 
20 years practically like right because mm -hmm. didn't he start doing some of the east with the kardashians in the yeah and then in the late 2000s like you said with the kardashians yep. and some of the other reality programs so he's been doing this game for a while and he's good at it so why not just take a cushy day job and then just focus on what really he enjoys doing which is production go for it yep. and he's a good host you know you don't yeah. have to travel the world or travel the u.s with american idol anymore no just have every, have the U.S. come to you in a studio. Here's my one request, though, for a Ryan Seacrest-led uh, uh, Wheel, mm -hmm. uh, Wheel of Fortune. Please end every show with Seacrest out. You know we want to hear it. Please give us what we want, Ryan. Please do this for us. Uh, see, I was going to say, like, when you do the uh, final um, the final puzzle, you still mm -hmm. use dim the lights, cue the music. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be so good, please. <laughs> Please do that, Ryan Seacrest. You listen to the show, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. You listen to us, right? Yeah, right. He's on our local station. We can just call up Kiss FM in the morning <laughs> one day and just be like, "Hey, we have a podcast. We were talking about you. Can you do this for us?" <laughs> and he listen, right? We just have to right. make up a um, an awful uh, X story and get on Ryan's roses one morning. <laughs> hey, speaking of Dick Clark Productions, they're the ones who bought the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. They sure These did, didn't they? Golden Globe Awards. Yes has Hollywood Ford Press Association officially shut down. Yes. Um, and then speaking of... Yeah. Yeah, and then speaking of shutting down, uh, Vice Media filed for Chapter 11 and would be sold to its lenders, Fortress Investment Group, and Soros Fund Management. Yeah, this was inevitable. Vice was a house of cards that was going to eventually fall apart anyways. This had rippling effects several websites including it was always going to fall apart once it got sold because someone's going to buy it look into it and see an empty house the funniest thing about the vice stuff is i don't know if you saw some of this when this happened is that apparently one of the reasons why they completely didn't like ran out of money was because at some point they were thinking they were going to be bought by disney yep yeah it's wild and so they basically tried to pump up all of their content and look as strong as possible from the outside so that way they could court Disney to buy them. Like that was the goal. That was a corporate like priority and it didn't happen. And thus they ran out of money. Like they were just like, well, we spent all of the money trying to look good for Disney and now we're kaput. We can't pay our people. So yeah, just an obnoxious way for a brand that was at one point a notable brand on TV and on the internet. Like just completely just, just throw it away. It's crazy. Ah, but oh, yeah. then we get into yeah. the. Then we get into July. <laughs> the go ahead. I'm just gonna go. We're just gonna keep going because we have to yeah. keep going. Because oh, yeah. thus in July began the summer of strike. As we already had the WTA on strike, but SAG AFTRA officially went on strike and held a press conference with top Hollywood public publicity agencies on how and why on how uh top talent could best serve the union once the strike took place and all the rules involving said talent not being able to promote the projects that they are on yeah i mean we all saw the writers uh, strike coming we did not necessarily see the actor strike coming and the fact that they did happen parallel to each other yeah really caused some chaos but we'll get to the chaos later I mean, this is chaos. <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh, let's see here. Um, Emmy nominations came out, which we'll see come to fruition in 
January yes. because of the uh, delayed yeah, the strike show. Delayed them, so these Emmys have not happened yet. Yep. SAG-AFTRA officially called for the strike, and Netflix quietly killed off its cheapest ad-free plan. Yeah, that was another recurring theme. Again, uh, uh, aftershock of that crumbling streaming uh, yep. industry. Uh, but that was the only thing that was crumbling, as the Pac-12 officially crumbled before our eyes, with only four schools remaining, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, and Sanford, with the other eight schools officially leaving starting 2024 next year. This was the final year of the Pac-12 um, college B day. and uh, Yeah. I mean, we'll see what actually happens next year with this. Uh, so this is just, this is just a hint at what's to come. Yeah. You know, with like Stanford and Cal probably being accepted in the ACC, you know, the Atlantic Coast Conference from the West Coast over here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, oh, and then for those of you space nerds out there, NASA Plus, coming to a streaming service near you. Yeah, cool idea. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, everyone has decided to pass on said Golden Globes. Yep, recurring this. story of the year is just the Golden Globes themselves. Um, ESPN officially getting into, found a way to make money. <laughs> ESPN found a way to make money. And they signed a deal with Pet Entertainment to create ESPN Bet, and those ads have been everywhere, just yes, in time will, for bowl season. Yes, and this will eventually rebrand ESPN Plus as ESPN Bet, right? That was always the plan? No, it's going to be no? its own separate thing. Okay. This is, uh, it might be, I think you're, what you're thinking of is that they're going to rebrand it because they're going to roll original ESPN plus into Hulu and Disney into one streaming package Eventually. and just have the ESPN bet in its own separate thing because yeah. you can't have your kid watching easily <laughs> plus and then make his way over to ESPN bet in the same app. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of Netflix, once again, rearing its head has it ended its DVD rental service after 25 years and the last DVDs went out to the special kind of giveaway to its uh, fans as they sent them out and said, keep it. Yep. Did not sign up, but hey, <laughs> if you were one of the people who still received DVDs in the mail, you don't have to send it back anymore. Yeah, it was an end of an era moment um, in a year where we had a recurring theme of where can you buy physical DVDs anymore? Who can say? And yeah, the bleak future. That's why a lot of people this Christmas are getting physical copies from me this year. <laughs> you're like, you're going to need these. Trust me. <laughs> uh, then let's get into September as we had a huge blackout for Spectrum customers. Speaking and of Spectrum and Otani, this could happen to you as Disney <laughs> Plus, it's not Disney Plus, Disney TV channels such as ABC, ESPN, FX, and Freeform all went dark as Walt Disney Company and Charter Communications, uh, being Charter Spectrum, could not reach a deal until like 10 days later. Yeah, like, that's the thing, is I almost think that this is not super worth talking about for very long. It was such a blip on the radar. This happens all the time with cable. Well, see, it started right at the beginning of college football, and they signed the deal literally hours before Monday Night Football was set to kick off. I mean, yes. So that 10-day stretch of questioning, how can I watch my football? 
Yeah. It was and it just goes to show football is a driving factor in the United States. It really is. Yeah. Hey, let's get back to talking about strikes. All right. Yes. Uh, because if you were trying to get your production back on the road or back to shooting, well, if you agree to SAG Astra's terms, you could, just like AMC Networks did, <laughs> just like A24 did, just yeah. like Annapurna did. If you accepted SAG Astra's deal, then you could go back to production. Um, some people, a lot of people, saw this as kind of undercutting the purpose of a strike. Yeah. While other people saw it as, if these smaller production studios can agree to this deal, why can't the big guys agree to this deal as well? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, it just depends on your uh, your perspective on what a strike means. Is mm-hmm. it, like, just overall, like, to show the strength of the actors slash writers? Or is it more specifically to get at the big studio system? And depending on where you landed on that spectrum, to basically determine whether you were okay with these special deals. And I think, yeah, I think ultimately it showed kind of that there there are nuanced opinions on both sides that make some sort of sense. Um, but yeah, it was interesting, though, to see every once in a while an actor or a writer try have to defend themselves. Like, oh, don't worry, I can talk about this because I'm part of this special deal. It was like, it was kind of jarring sometimes be like, mm-hmm. oh, they can talk about this? Okay. But yeah, when it's a smaller studio, they're not necessarily the responsible for the purpose of the strike in the larger picture, right? And so, yeah, it, it caused a lot of really interesting discussions and proved that even a strike is not going to necessarily just be black and white, like a binary. It's, it, there's stuff, there's nuanced context going on in the middle of it. So, yeah. So much talked about that nuanced contract to Drew Barrymore. Yeah. As she was criticized by both the actors and the writers when she decided to bring back her daytime yeah. talk show host amid both strikes happening. I mean, and eventually she did rescind this and eventually, you know, the show did continue to be off the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, for a moment there, she was kind of the internet enemy number one. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I liked your very more okay. But yeah, there was some sort of thing that seemed like she had her hands tied here. I want to bet that it wasn't 100% her decision. It sounds like she was being forced by someone, maybe a producer, um, to follow through with this and she had to come up with any excuse possible and she just isn't very good at lying i think that's really what this is <laughs> is that she couldn't convince anybody that she wasn't a, this awful person and it really did the damage on her like on her uh like her you know her whole vibe because i think before that everybody loved drew barrymore in her cute little talk show like everybody yeah. loved like like and i think that yeah this unfortunately really tarnished that reputation and i don't know whether people will just forget about this? I don't know. We'll see. We shall see. Um, let's see here. Other news as we get towards the end of the year here, including Warner Brothers TV, as part of the strike, decided to suspend some overall deals from its top creators as it, once again, restructures what it wants to actually put out in terms of content. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. like So this was just basically deals that were had to press pause because they couldn't produce anything they just decided to just cut ties with them um uh, yeah ultimately this doesn't mean that they can't reconvene with these creators at some point next year and like maybe get this ball rolling again however this gives those creators time to really consider whether they want to make deals with warner anymore especially after their anti-creative kind of vibes the last year yeah they could just go the christopher nolan route and 
head over to Universal across the lot. <laughs> or like some notable names uh, that in animation that we've recently seen, abandon Warner or sorry, uh, abandon um, uh, Disney in one case to and Warner to go to Sony and make a deal for mm-hmm. a picture. You already see this happening. You already see a restructuring. Like, let's go where creatives are treated better than the places we were at. Mm-hmm. It's happening. Yep. Um, also happening, Amazon Prime, in the search for more money, decided <laughs> that it would begin offering ad-supported tiers for customers. Yeah, it was bound to happen at some point. They didn't have an ad-supported tier yet. It was because the presumption was, oh, well, if you already have a Prime two-day shipping thing, you can just watch Amazon Prime TV. Why not? And now that gives another option for people who aren't in the Amazon machine already. Yep. Uh, and lastly, of things being terrible people, <laughs> uh, Robert, 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 Rupert, Rupert. Rupert. Yes, there's a U. Not <laughs> Robert no. Murdoch. Yeah. Yeah, there's his, a U. Not <laughs> Rupert Murdoch officially yeah. decided to step down from chairman of Fox Corp and News Corp. Well, I don't know if he decided or more or less yeah. he was kind of forced to because the lawsuits. You never but, know with Rupert. <laughs> right. But ultimately, he didn't leave it in just anyone's hands. Oh, no. He left it into his son, Lachlan Murdoch. Yeah. So and Murdoch is still at the head of Fox News Corp. Yeah, not super surprising here that it would follow in the company's footsteps here, uh, or in the family's footsteps here. Uh, but yeah, honestly, I mean, Rupert's getting old. Uh, he probably doesn't have a whole lot longer to do. So he, the last thing he needs to do right now is run day-to-day operations of anything. Just, I don't know, just go rot somewhere, honestly. it's <laughs> kind of how I feel. But don't worry, after all this darkness, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Because at the beginning of October... The writer's strike officially came to an end. They reached yeah. a deal, and late-night talk show hosts were the first ones to return after a five-month absence. And it was a good deal, too. That was the craziest thing about this, is that at the end of the tunnel, everybody was pretty pleased with what they were able to establish. Unlike the actors, which we'll get to later, um, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of discourse about, like, oh, I don't know about this. Maybe we shouldn't have voted yes. It was pretty unanimous. It was pretty much everybody who voted seemed like, yeah, this was the deal. This is what they wanted. And it's like a really big boon for everybody involved. Right. It was also the same deal that the the studios could have accepted on day one. Yes. But they wanted to drag it out. They wanted to see if they could punish the writers into uh, like being like, like treated badly. But no, they stood, they stood their ground and I'm glad they did. Didn't mention it yet, but there was that quote uh, from one of the studios saying that it would be a cold winter yes. as they would try and force those on strike to not come back and be like, well, air going to crumble by then. Right. They were basically saying stuff like, oh, wow, yeah, we don't care if the writers lose their homes in this process. Mm-hmm. And it's just like brutal stuff. Like, but that was that that was just where we're at right now. This is that this is where the communication was so like separate separated between the two camps is like the studios were willing to do anything to save a penny and i'm glad the writers stuck to their guns and just kept fighting and they got what they wanted anyway anyways um a couple of quick hits though uh, before we get back to the big news on hand uh max it made a deal with bleacher report yes. to start carrying live sports this is cool. ten dollars a month 
this is still a cool deal. Um, I think eventually when I'll have to pay for it, I'll think it's less cool. But right now, when it becomes becomes free with my Max, this is great. You get to watch some. I was able to watch some uh, playoff baseball. There's some basketball on there. There's some hockey on there. It's like really cool option to have if you already have Max. Yeah. Whenever you have the TNT games, you put it on Max. It yeah, makes exactly. sense. Uh, we also had the next Dragon Ball series, Dragon Ball Daima, announced at New York Comic Con. AKA Dragon Ball Babies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Prime Video showed the first um, trailer for its Fallout franchise, which will be debuting in April of next year. Looks all right. Looks like Fallout. Looks like Fallout. Um, Sesame Street would get an overhaul for its 56th season. Yeah. But that won't be until 2025. Right. And then Sony's Crunchyroll inked a deal with Amazon to bring its service to Prime Video directly. Just as a thing you can pay for to have in as a sell in your Amazon thing. It's yes. not actually bringing those shows to Amazon Prime. No, you still have to pay for right. Crunchyroll in addition to your Amazon Prime. Yes. But Amazon Prime's cold kind of concept now is don't go to any app, come to us, and we will kind of mirror those apps right into here. Right. Uh, let's see here. A couple other quick hits include a Dune prequel series coming over at in 2024 to be named Dune colon Prophecy. Uh, the Matthew Perry Foundation was set up in the wake of his um, death to help those struggling with alcohol and drug abuse. Uh, three contestants decided to file lawsuit against Netflix for Squid Game calling the challenge, although you would think they knew what they were getting into with a name <laughs> called Squid Game Challenge. <laughs> I don't know. We talked about it in more detail on the podcast. It's a little more nuanced than that, but yes. Yes. To a certain extent, it does. It did what it said on the tin. Yes. But, so. And lastly, in other news here, Dave Filoni officially named the create, chief creative officer over at Lucasfilm, where he can continue to bring his toys from his <laughs> animated series into live action. Yeah. I mean, it was his job. Like, they were they were going to give it to him eventually. It makes sense. And not all the people on the internet are happy, but are they ever? So yeah, I don't know. This this was probably earned. I think that I think this is the right guy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things that were earned, comedian Taylor Tomlinson would be was announced as the upcoming late night host for After Midnight, the yes. new show that would take place of the Late Late Show, and officially relaunching. I want to say in a couple of weeks here in January 2024. Yeah, it's it's soon, and yeah, I'm happy for that. She's really cool. I like her. But it'll be really interesting to see what the actual show, if the show is any good. Because At Midnight's an interesting premise, but can you do that in 2023 is a really pressing question. Right, because, I mean, was it both The Soup and uh, <laughs> Tosh.0 no yeah. longer a thing because, hey, people all have access to the internet and are all... Yeah. Well, I guess no one's always watching the same thing you're watching. So exactly. it's kind of nice little aggregate. Internet culture has changed a lot, though getting a young female host here is actually a really good move because it mm -hmm. does kind of open it up to like what's happening on TikTok, what's happening on corners of YouTube that we don't like talk about a lot with male hosts and comedians. Like, so it does offer some extra breadth 
of content that they could possibly cover. Yep. All right. Let's get back to the big news, starting yes. with Disney agreeing to take full control of Hulu from Comcast in a $8.6 billion deal. Yeah. I mean, this was Disney's plan. It was they were going to start taking back all the pieces slowly mm-hmm. but surely. And there well, are. They, they were also kind of forced to because of the contract right. date. And yeah, and this, like you said earlier, this is all part of their plan just to roll it all into one service and then stop having Hulu as a separate entity. Yep. But then in November, after 118 days, the SAG after strike officially reached a tentative deal with a tentative three year deal with the studios, although there were some members of the SAG after negotiating committee declaring. They'd rather stay on strike than accept a bad deal. Mm. And that eventually led to kind of a divide among SAG-AFTRA as to whether this was a good enough deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and still, more still specific, kind of... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So kind of iffy, especially as this is the first deal that has in, into it a clause on artificial intelligence. Right. And how it can be used. Um, we'll see what happens over the next three years. Yeah. I'm going to assume that the next deal is going to have it more solidified as <laughs> the studios will find those loopholes and try and exploit them for the next three years. Yes. Look forward to that. <laughs> and then um, as we get into December here, uh, as we typically discuss, a bunch of bundles and streamers because everyone's got to get together. And then, as you mentioned, you've alluded to it and the biggest probably sports story yeah. that we can talk about. Uh, Shohei Otani signs a 10-year, $700 million contract with the LA Dodgers, yeah. the equivalent of 4 million jersey sales. You just love that jersey. I love comparison. that number. It's a great <laughs> comparison. It's an easy comparison to understand. Yeah, we're not a sports podcast, so I'll just be brief about this. But yeah, it's a big deal when the biggest uh, athlete right now in baseball makes a big deal (laughs) and this is what happened here yeah you know deferrals you know are what they are but even if you don't look at the exactly how the money is dispersed it's still a earth-shattering record amount of money and it's deserved so yeah i'm happy for otani regardless of where he ended up i think the fact that he gets to play baseball in front of a huge audience is still exciting and still he deserves it so that part is okay. still in the LA area, which means I expect yeah. to see him in a lot more commercials and or TV shows. That new balance deal ain't going away. <laughs> no, it's not. Issue Otani shoes. We have to decide on a story of the year. It's the strikes. What are you talking about? We don't have to talk about it. Obviously, I'm sorry. It was are we going to say that for movies, though? No. It's, no. Movies is something else. We'll get there next week. Yes, but we will. For now, yes. <laughs> But no, no, I think it's definitely the strikes. I mean, it was the thing that we kept returning to all year long. It's the thing that caused disruption in both the television and movie industry to the point where everybody was scrambling with their schedules and trying to figure it out. It was the like it created a lot of inter- main characters on the Internet this year, including Drew Barrymore. It like created so much drama and ended up being such a focal point of everything. It can't not be the story of the year. While I do think that the crumbling of the streaming interface is an interesting concept, we might revisit it next year because we're going to really see the result of whether or not the studios just completely abandon the streaming altogether, which could happen. 
<laughs> so, but before that happens, though, I think this is such a world-changing, industry-changing event that really sent waves. So there's an alternate version of this where they didn't, the writers didn't get what they wanted. And all of a sudden, AI-written shows are the norm. And that's a scary future that we just narrowly dodged. <laughs> the fact that we just narrowly dodged that is in itself, like, shows you how big the story is and how important it is. So AI is <laughs> not the story of the year. It no. is the strikes. I mean, yeah, because it's not only just that. That I wish I had more time, but but yes. it's all that plus what it says about labor in America. Like it's part of this movement to get people thinking more about the power of workers and how we have the ability to fight against these bigger bigger problems. Yes, it's very easy to fall into the trap. Well, the television industry and movie industry, everybody's rich and they're all living in Hollywood in these mansions. No, that's not what it is. These are workers, just like you and my me. These are people who are getting freelance, you know, pay for their scripts, which is like pennies. They're people who are like struggling actors on the actor side who don't like maybe are in a commercial every once in a while. They're not Tom Cruise. You know, there's a big gap between a SAG, like somebody who is a member of SAG down here and a member of SAG up here. And you need to consider that when you're talking about this. Acting and writing for movies and television is labor, and they got what they wanted because of the strength of labor, and that's the story here. It's so much more than just, oh, the writers just complained and the studios keeled over. No, it's so much more than that. It's also a story about the power of labor when facing gigantic monolithic corporations. These studios are huge. There's a reason why there's basically only four of them left. They consolidated so much because their power just keep, just keeps exponentially growing. And that's dangerous in any industry, especially mm -hmm. this one. Monopolistic tendencies. Yes, indeed. So yeah, it was a win, honestly, in all ways. It was a win for the writers, the actors. It was a win for labor. And yeah, I think it's a really good uh, template to, to base all future, like the, in the next couple of years of labor relations in the U.S., to base your struggle on like to look back and see these wins and act accordingly fight for labor fight for workers it works we didn't really mention it here but the dga also had a new contract yes. signed this year before sag after and the wga andy yahtzee is next year so we yep. will have to watch when that happens because that surely will be another strike like i'll just put my money down right here they're striking and they're mm -hmm. going to struggle because they're not going to want to give the crew people who are seen even lower, you know, in the priority level for studios. They're not going to want to give them them the same deal, but they're going to have to. Oh, boy, are they going to have to. But we'll get there. We will get there. But what we need to get to now is our list. We've hit the hour yes. mark. Yes. We got to get to our list of what we've been watching. Yes. And I believe it is my turn to go first. Yes. Uh, I went first in movie in uh, music. You went first in video games. Okay. Now back over to me. All righty. Tell me what you enjoyed watching this year. Well, I'm going to start off with my number five. And it's a show that's on five, but hey, we've had this at number one before. Yeah. So to see it kind of fall down here, it kind of makes sense. But then again, Yes, <laughs> might be all that we get. Because, <laughs> yeah, this might as well be it. 
as the series finale of Ted Lasso hit after a quick three years. We've all got this thing for three years, and every year, all 10 episodes, great. It's hard to say goodbye, but I think this year is probably one of the better ones because it actually focused more on AFC Richmond, the team, rather than Ted Lasso. I know you're smirking at me. Yes. (laughs) Sorry. Say your piece. Let me say that piece. Um, because when we got to here in season three, we've more or less set up like our core cast, our core characters, how they function, their ups, their downs, what they're struggling with and goals. But this is a soccer team. There's 11 players on there, not just five. Well, 11 plus the coaches and owner. But there's more people in here on, on a team than would be in normal sports. So to see them actually build upon those team dynamics and have like, oh, like we're actually going to take time out of these episodes and talk about these other players on this team, their struggles, like their interpretations, their um what they bring to the table, what they bring to um the the club and make them their own characters, not just background characters. It actually especially worked because after the season finale, more recently, went back and watched the Christmas episode <laughs> and I saw these recurring players, and now when I see them, it's like, oh. It's like, oh, that's just the goalie, or that's just the defender. It's like, no, that's Van Damme. I know him now. That's the French guy. I know him now. And to see, get kind of that aspect out of it, coming back into it, is uh, well done on the writers. Say what you will, and I know you have a lot to say about that actual finale. Yeah. But I like what they did there. There's a lot of good callbacks into it. There's a lot of good um, references to aspects of the show. Um, yes, it is kind of more or less a happy ending, but at the same time, it's okay to have a happy ending. It's okay to ride off into the sunset, even if it is technically a loss or like you win, you win some, but you lose some, you win the battle, but you lose the war, but Mm -hmm. it's the friends and the relationships that you make along the way. And in the end, Ted Lasso, uh, got what he wanted out of it, which is a winning coach and back to his family. Yeah, I mean, I'll be really brief here. What I will say about Ted Lasso season three is I like cheese. Don't get me wrong. I like a cheese, but some cheese is stronger than others. And that could be, you know, like to a lot of people where they cut off, you know, some people like most people like a cheddar. But, you know, when you get over to the more experimental cheeses that you get from like the French cheese shops, they're just overwhelming in their odor. And sometimes it's just a little much, but they are both cheese. That's what I. That's my opinion about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is a cheesy ass show. Even in season one, look back, it's super cheesy. But I think they were able to in season one, especially in season two, kind of halfway, um, they were able to walk that tightrope where it didn't feel too much. It's a show that operates in an alternate universe in which nothing bad can happen longer than like an hour tops. <laughs> like things always get resolved. You are like looking at long-standing rivalries and beefs that get resolved like snap and if you're not getting resolved it's because you are an irredeemable character and there's only like one of those in this show anyways so the thing is is that that is a tightrope walk that is very delicate it's a delicate thing to do and i think season three was where it toppled over for me i think every arc in season three didn't feel earned it's in the finale was like the little cherry on top of all of it Yes, you do get to know these characters, and yeah, they're charming, and you want to hang out with them. 
But television shows have to have arcs. They have to have some sort of drama in order to keep being compelling pieces of television. And I think by the time you get to the end of Ted Lasso, you're thinking back like, wait a minute, we're just supposed to be okay with Nate now? Like we're just supposed to be understand that this hap- like this is okay that, that everybody's moved on. And don't I knew even that was going to be your one this. sticking point is Nate in this but whole thing. It's not just the, it's not just Nate. It's not just that arc. I think that arc is symbolic of the larger problem with Ted Lasso, and I think that the reason why a lot of people turned on the show as it went on is because it's one thing to be living in a surreal alternate reality uh, where everything good happens always. But it's another thing for to, to feel like that, like that 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 you didn't get there through a process that you got there kind of out of happenstance. I liken it to the reason why people didn't like um, uh, the, the the third uh, uh, sequel trilogy, the Star Wars movie. Like Rise it's of very Skywalker. yeah, yeah, Rise of Skywalker. Thank you. I feel like similar vibes, right? Where it's like it just became too inevitable. It just became like something that just things started happening somehow nate was redeemed you know like that's about kind of the feeling that i'm talking about it's the tv equivalent of that for me where it's like this you took this thing that i really thought was interesting and compelling the last jedi and you just kind of threw the compelling part out of the window in favor of audience pleasing musical numbers and good times had by all and it just didn't sit with me well it was the stinky cheese it wasn't the good cheese yeah, but you still, I still get teared up when, at the very end of the last game, they all bring out the pieces of the side and they make sure. the belief sign again. Yeah, no, they know what works. It's mm-hmm. a very emotionally manipulative show, and depending on where you stand, that could be really affecting, or you could be rolling your eyes. And by the end of that roller coaster ride, I was rolling my eyes. I was not tearing up. See, so yeah, I was having fun on that roller coaster ride. The one thing, the last thing I'll say is the one thing that I did think that show actually did do really well is the discussion of mental health is Ted's kind of experiment with like therapy and what that ended up doing for him. I think that stuff really works. In fact, the best part of the finale in my mind is the bit where he's talking to his therapist and he just basically says like, or, or, or no, and and also the bit where he's talking to his mother and he finally just like explodes on his mom and just like says mm-hmm. like, no, you did not support me. Like, this is not, this was not good. Like, and yeah, it was a cool, that really touched me because I'm like, that's a realistic depiction of what sometimes needs to happen with family dynamics or with somebody who is a loved one, because you do sometimes get to that point where you need to just tell them. And sometimes that leads to the repair of bridges. But it's also in an an environment where a lot of shows are doing that now. And a lot of media is doing that right now. It's becoming something that not just Ted Lasso is tackling. Soccer pun. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Overall, it just didn't do enough for me to remind me why I enjoyed season one as much. And so to me, it was a missed opportunity. But I get why if you're willing to like let those things fly, I get feeling at the end of it like, oh, cool. Like, I love hanging out with these people because that is that is still there. That's still there. It's just unfortunately it was buried under a lot of other stuff for me. Well, see, that's why it's kind of like I'm number five, not all the way up at number one like it used right. to be. Uh, it does still have its issues that, yes, you can't really overlook for season three, but coming in as a whole in terms of like a series finale, mm-hmm. the final season plays off what came before in season one and season two. And I think 
being Bill Lawrence wanted it to end after three seasons. Yeah, yeah. They did what they wanted to do with it. That is good. I'm glad that they got in, got out, did what they needed to do and went over with it. Because yeah, you're there is an alternate universe here which this thing lasts way too long and it gets yep. really, really long in the tooth in like season five. And you're just like, uh, I can't believe Ted Lasso still on. But thankfully that wasn't our reality. Right. Uh I mean, if this one's going to be our number five, it was probably going to be, what, like, Physical 100? One of those, like, reality shows? Well, okay. Well, I guess it could have been worse than... <laughs> could have been worse. <laughs> anyways. Uh, anyways, but let's get better, though, because that number four is a show that came out at the beginning of the year, and yeah. I'm glad we were able to return back to it. Poker Face from yes. Ryan Johnson, with his creative mysteries of both Knives Out and Glass Onion, decides to bring it to the small screen. Uh, with Natasha Leone in the lead. And at first, I was super skeptical of this show because of mm-hmm. Natasha Leone. Really? I Yes. I've said my in my very different opinion from most people here about Russian Doll. <laughs> uh, and my uh, less than glowing review of Russian Doll. So when Natasha Leone was going to be the lead here, I was like, okay, I will give you a shot. But just know, I'm watching you. I have more faith in Ryan Johnson than I do have in you, Natasha Leon. But by the end of the show, I was unhooked. I was on board. Hell, at the end of this first like four episode drop that they did, I was on board and waiting for this thing to happen every week. Um, I loved it. You loved it. I tried to get other people to love it. The only thing is that this thing is squarely secured behind the Peacock paywall. And that is... <clears throat> Enough to make people question if they want to even sign up for Peacock just to get it. I say yes, but also if you haven't, sign up for Peacock. It's cheap now, and you get the Olympics next year. So in the meantime, (laughs) watch Poker Face. And guess what? I think we're getting uh, pretty sure we're getting a season two Poker Face next year as well. So it's a whirlwind of a ride, especially with all the different guest stars. Each Mm -hmm. episode is its own self-contained story. While there is a through story with Benjamin Bratt throughout it mm-hmm. uh that is nicely wrapped up uh by the end of it it does do itself a favor and leave the door open for even more wild and crazy yes. mysteries to be had yes uh this is on my list as well so i won't talk a whole lot mm-hmm. about it but yeah you're right on every single point it's just such a cool vibe of a show it's just like you love everybody. You love the finding out all these weird little communities and you love finding out about the weird quirks of all the weird people she meets and her own quirks. And you get to like be part of this really compelling mystery of how she's going to get out of her predicament. And it, yeah, it's exciting up until the very end. And I am so looking forward to more Poker Face. Like it's such a cool show. It's also good that each episode doesn't end with and then the cop showed up and arrested them. <laughs> right. That's not always the ending. Yeah, and that's the- good. They avoid being too formulaic. They it's just formulaic enough in its structure where you know more or less, okay, this is when she's gonna notice something. This is when it's gonna wrap up. She's gonna do, okay, this is what I think, and confront the person. But the way they do the confrontations, again, I'm already kind of digging into my stuff. But yeah, like the way they do the bullshit meter. Yes, the way they do everything is the compelling part. Like that's the stuff that's cool about this show. Yeah, the bullshit meter, the interactions that she has just randomly not only with these people but how involved she gets so quickly with everyone mm-hmm. and it's all tied together nothing ever feels forced and that is the sign of great writing for sure so pay the writers 
Indeed. All right. Speaking of great writing, Edgar Allan Poe is a great writer, a great poet. Sure. Um, so great that <laughs> his stuff from the 1800s can resonate years and centuries uh, to even present day. And thus we come to my number three show, The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes, Rob Usher. <laughs> Bring up the Usher jokes. It's time. <laughs> OMG. Here we <laughs> go. <laughs> Sorry. Go on. That's all right. Um, so <laughs> I want to preface that even though last year um, the uh, Werewolf by Night was my number one show <laughs> by Jason of Technicality, I'm still not that into horror. I still sure. don't like actively seek out horror. But when it comes into a new, like, modernized backdrop, like that of, like, succession, right. where you take these, like, <laughs> very affluent people, and they actually do end up getting their comeuppance because of all the shitty things that they do. Well, I'm going to be more invested in it than, say, the end of succession, which will probably win <laughs> awards, but will not be on my list because, God sure. damn it, I hate all those people. And, well, yes, that's probably the whole point of succession, that you're supposed to hate these people. But I want something to actually happen to them. And at least with the fall of the House of Usher, I get to see that. I get to live uh, live that, will you say. Uh, but it it gets to, like, feel uh, feel good about these people's deaths, because that may seem right <laughs> or wrong. But um, the deaths feel earned. And the fact that each death is based upon a work of Edgar Allan Poe, and the fact that each of these are woven into an overall arching story interconnecting all of these different standalone works is what works for me i mean also brace greenwood and carla gugina just totally own everything that they're in they are the through point of this entire series yeah. uh yes it's probably gonna be a limited series i don't ever see them doing a fall of the house of a sure. part two no um but as it stands on its own just the overall development that they have, both of the entire backstory of these characters, the entire buildup of these characters, and the entire downfall of the characters over the course of 10 episodes is super enveloping, super well done, and everything is done with a purpose. All the set design, all the little like nuances, all the little um, even wordplay that they have in here all done with the purpose, all specifically referencing a different work from Edgar Allan Poe. So it's not mm. just, hey, here's like, it is a one-for-one, one, it's here's the one-for-one, one, plus all the other backstories and backdrops and other stuff that we can't fit into here, but we will make nods and weeks to based mm. off Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, I know. That's the biggest thing about that I noticed about this thing. So, by the way, we watched two episodes of this. We tapped out after the acid shit because we were yes. like, this is a little <laughs> too much for us. Uh, but uh, we did. Uh, what I noticed about it is that, yeah, it's very ambitious. It's trying to do basically two things at the same time. It's trying to be this modern horror thing. But it's also basically the Sacklers. Like, it's also like trying to be very like, like talk about this very real thing that happened in real life and fictionalize it in a really yeah. interesting way. And yeah, it's like, it's it was an interesting sort of hybrid of a horror show and kind of like a succession style prestige drama. And the fact that it kind of balances both plates at the same time is, is a really impressive thing. And I'm glad to hear 
that according to you, it was able to with like to keep that up, that balancing act out like up throughout and still pay homage to these um Edgar Allan Poe stories, but also feel modern and feel like it's saying something about the current like climate of like rich people who are taking advantage of the system, which is like a really interesting thing to do. And that's one thing that by the time you get to the end, does it all tie in together? Does it right. all work together? Because a lot of times we get to the end, especially mm-hmm. in Marvel stuff, where it feels like, oh, they're just going to abandon everything they did the past eight episodes just to make a big finale. Right. But no, with the fall of the House of Usher, they make sure that by the time you get to the end, it's all a single through point that you can see it go back even all the way to episode one, to even the yeah. first opening scenes in episode one, points all the way to the end. And it's a sign of really well done, really thoughtful and creative work. Yeah, seems like it seems like they they did a good job with it. Uh, one last question about it though: Did you say yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I did not. And never more shall I say yeah. <laughs> there we go, full circle. All <laughs> right, but all right, that is not. No, I have two more shows to talk. I'm not going to yes. be brief about my second show because you're going to go in <laughs> depth of it. I'm going to try not to, but yes. This was my number one show until I went back to my number one show and realized, <laughs> you know what? I do want more of that show than I want of this show. Sure. So I had to switch them. All right. It's on my own preference. Uh, but Scott Pilgrim takes off. Yes. And so shall I. Bye-bye. <laughs> is, right, so Scott Pilgrim takes off is my number two show. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird show because it's not a reboot. <laughs> It's not a remake. It's not really a sequel, although at points it is. It's more of like this reimagining of the Scott Pilgrim versus the world, both film and comic books, and Mm. makes it more to its new take. It's its own thing. It's this own kind of reimagining of take Scott Pilgrim out of the equation and what happens. Where Mm. do you go from there? You make Ramona Flowers the main character and you make her the one to confront her exes, not Scott Pilgrim. And it's this mm-hmm. weird little adaptation from the same guy, though. I yeah. want to point that out. This is the same guy, Brian Lee O'Malley, who wrote this version, who wrote the 2010 version of the film, <laughs> who wrote the comic books that predated it. So to see him take his own work and be able to both revise and reimagine it into this new thing, makes it very unique that you have the same guy not just same guy but just the same artist have this recontextualization of their own work and it works all three of these different entities for scott pilgrim work in their own right Right. it's this weird little mash patch hit pit mash just all like put together that that just it just works um I mean, it does help that like the cast from that 2010 film come back and reprise their voice roles into this thing. Uh, but yeah, whether you're like a fan of the comic books or like the film, there's just something like every like little detail or nuanced um, thing in here that they reference to uh, from those previous works. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about it a little bit more later. But yes, no, that's that's true. Like the change in perspective really opens up something about this story that really they hadn't peeked into before and it really breathes fresh air into the whole project and then on top of that you have the excellent voice cast and then on top of that you have incredible animation 
and just like this this sense of imagination and just like that they could do literally anything. It's a good show that does what I think is one of the best things in animation, which is remind you that there are certain things that can only be done in this medium. And mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim takes off as a great example of why. Like that's still relevant. Like to ask yourself, like, should this be live action or should this be animated? Well, there's certain things you can do here that you can't do in live action. And it really reminds you, oh, that's right. That's why the movie was lacking in a lot of places, because this kinetic feel can only really be delivered in art in like art like this. Like, so, yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit more in a moment. But, yeah, it's just yeah. such an incredible thing that I can't believe it exists for all sorts of reasons. And I'll get to my number one show here. Yep. Which is my number one show that was last year. And <laughs> make, sorry, so it was the year before that, two years right. before that. So well worth the wait. The Bear season Bear. two is back and it left off exactly where season one did. And it kept going. It is good. It's back in the kitchen, but they're also rebuilding the kitchen. They're taking what they have from season one and building upon it. Everyone that you knew from season one has a full out fleshed backstory here, but also has a full fleshed out path moving forward into what they can become. It's taking these odd off, one off kind of mishmash characters that you're like, oh, okay, they kind of work together. And then saying, no, we can make them work together. There's a reason we had them there in the first place. And it just expands everything here. Even the characters that you think are there to just sow chaos are made to have a purpose. They're made to find a purpose. Uh, two episodes in particular here, both Forks and Fishes. Um, excellent writing, excellent show. I want to say one of those episodes is going to be uh, nominated, going to win. It is that good. Uh, Jeremy Allen White as the lead character just absolutely nails everything in here. Uh, even to, at the very end, it has its own like long take or yeah, long take yeah. to open up. And I was like, oh, referencing one of the episodes I really liked from the first season. But then also one of the main problems that comes up in the finale is something that was hinted at, talked about, and you can see it being pestering all throughout every episode. They make note of it literally in every episode because i just went back and rewatched it <laughs> knowing that this was going to happen and sure enough every single episode they make note of it until you get to the very end it's like well you could have fixed it in the beginning but <laughs> you see how both like the hubris and just the cold chaos that is of the kitchen can push something that seems so small insignificant off to the side but ultimately have this big huge implication when it finally does come rearing its ugly head yeah. and having a show that tells you everything up front of what's going to happen. And you see it slowly play out over the course of the season to the point at the end that it is all encompassing, just complete mess of the chaos, but also harmonized synchronicity of chaos. Right. Like I think fully exemplifies like the whole like kitchen element that the bear is kind of living in. Yeah. And it's just great, excellent television they actually use more shots of the city this time of Chicago to make it feel more like a lived and breathed space and not just what like say it's always saying Philadelphia does which is we'll use the shots of Chicago but more or less it's like this one off like located isolated building that is a part of Philadelphia but not really 
we'll reference it, we'll go and make use of it when we want to, but more or less it's all like within this one building, whereas the bear uses the city of Chicago. There's one episode where they just go and have a big whole foodie like showcase through Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then there's the uh, celebrity cameos all throughout here as well. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis makes a big statement in this episode. Um, it's just like uh, Olivia Coleman makes a big statement. She's only in one scene of this whole thing, but her reference, her uh, what she does is just so powerful and moving that it literally shapes a single character into improving upon themselves. Mm-hmm. So just excellent writing, excellent uh, cinematography, excellent acting, and overall, I want to see more of it, which is why it's my number one show. Yeah, I mean, Again, it makes sense. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, uh, uh, I apologize for the cooking pun, but yeah, it's like a pressure cooker of a show. Like mm-hmm. you just feel like from what I've seen of it, I haven't watched a whole lot of it, just kind of sitting here while some of it was on, I think the first episode. Uh, and yeah, like it just seems like it's just, it takes that tension and really plays with it in interesting ways. And yeah, from what everybody says about it, it's just like, you really feel like you're there. And like a lot well, of that part of the cinematography, the because a lot of it is I, close-ups claustrophobic feeling claustrophobic yes and yeah no it seems like to me looking from the outside in it does feel like almost this culmination of decades of that fx style coming Mm -hmm. to a head where they figured out the way that they want to do their dramas and they've really nailed it here like it's just like with the characters with the look of it with the feel of it and yeah like it i get why people really like it i haven't spent much time with it at all um but uh maybe i should i don't know um i mean it's trying to buy alley with it being high stakes drama mm-hmm. and cooking and food <laughs> right exactly it seems to really target you <laughs> yes all right well cool the bear your number one show but hey you also watch tv i did uh, and i'll be quick uh with mine i don't want to go too long because we have like 10 minutes uh but yeah. when i will sorry start- i took up most of the time there it's a, it's fine. <laughs> That's what we do here. Uh, let's start with my number five, which is my only network show on this list. Uh, Abbott Elementary. So this is a show I wanted to include last year for its first season. It didn't quite make my cutoff, but thankfully it didn't have, like season two was so good that it was like surefire going to show up on this top five somewhere. So this was one of the last like shows I think we had right before the strike. And the finale just made it right before the, the deadline. And so they mm-hmm. were able to actually finish their season proper before all that happened. And season three is coming soon. But it they're already down... advertised for season three. Yeah. It doubled down on everything that I loved about season one. It's like, it feels like more so than any show before, like since Parks and Recreation, it's a show that feels like it's about the community and a vibe just as much as it is about the characters itself. It's about these teachers. And it's more so than just about these teachers. It's about teaching. It's about commu- being a part of your community. It's about children. And like so much about like what it means to be a parent. Relationships with your parents. Relationships with other parents. It's like it's such an interesting study on like characters. And like how they interact with each other in a setting like a school. Way more than... It's just a sitcom about teachers, which is, I think it's really easy just to assume that that's what it's doing, but it's doing so much more here. Then on top of that, 
It's also the most compelling, in my opinion, will they or won't they relationship on TV in a long ass time. It's one that you actually genuinely during parts of season two don't know how it's going to resolve because they do that back and forth ebb and flow of the, the the main character's relationship with this guy so well that you are like, wait, are they going to hate each other? Are they going to love each other? Oh, they kissed, but is this going to make it weird? Like it does it's a classic TV trope so well in a modern lens that it's kind of amazing that they get away with it. It's like, it's amazing. It doesn't feel weird or contrived or forced. It just kind of happens. And they nail the finale with a moment that really encapsulates that drama. And really, if you feel feel it in the moment because of how much you, time you've spent with these characters, kind of like what you were saying um, about some of your shows, especially like what you were saying about Ted Lasso, where it's like you spend enough time with these characters, you kind of know their ins and outs, and you do feel really touched with something like this, this dramatic and potentially dangerous happens. And you're like, oh, shoot. This actually going to happen the way that I think it is. What's possibly going to happen in season three? And it ends on such a good cliffhanger. You do, you're kept wondering. And the fact that this is on ABC is a big deal because that they're finally got a show that feels modern while using a sitcom format that seems ancient. It doesn't feel like an ancient show. It's able to pull off that magic feeling of being a relevant sitcom in 2023. And Got to applaud that. Like, that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, this is essentially their modern family replacement yeah. uh, for ABC. But it's better than that. A lot of <laughs> things are better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the fact that they were able to pull off all of that is really impressive. But that was only your number five show. Yes. Next is a show that I'm shocked didn't end up on your top five. Did you forget that it happened this year? Uh, I didn't forget that it happened. I think I remember that I didn't really like the ending. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's not the show's fault. That's the game's fault. Well, yes. yes. But I'm also, one about... episode, one perfect episode of TV does right. not make the show. No, but that's the thing, is I think that the rest of it had interesting things along the way too. And yes, I'm talking about The Last of Us, the HBO adaptation of the video game. Uh, I'm not usually a prestige person, you know me. Like I'm not watch watching a lot of HBO stuff. I'm not watching that kind of tier of television. Uh, but this got me because yeah, I like the game. Might as well try to see how they adapted the, the the that narrative. And yeah, I think they pulled it off better than I thought they were going to. You mentioned that one episode quote unquote. And yes, you're right. It was probably one of the most touching, like moving things I saw all year. It just happens to be in this show about a video game. And that's, I think, the key to what was good about this series is when they deviated from the video game. Mm -hmm. I mean, say, with that, say what you will about whether that means it's a good or bad adaptation of the original work. I think that that doesn't matter. What this list is, is just talking about TV we enjoyed this year. And I think that easily makes it on this list. Um, it's a really impressive piece of work. It's a beautiful looking show in moments. The performances are excellent. Pedro Pascal is just fantastic in this role. It's like he was born to play this character, which is weird. He's so good. And like the just the cinematography is pretty impressive. Some of the special effects, you know, are hit or miss depending on the episode. But overall, just the vibe of it, just so good at replicating the vibe of the video game. And that when it really wants to dig into the emotional heft of it, it's really good at it. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Neil Druckmann. 
Uh, I've established that on this podcast before, but and I'll, and also I've established my distaste for part two, the second video game. All that being said, though, I was pretty astonished with it, what they were actually able to pull off here. And I am interested in seeing what they do with the season two, because it got me, of all people, interested in like prestige te- storytelling. And that's no easy feat. Uh, yeah, I mean, this like I did think about putting this on my list for that one episode alone uh, with yeah. Nick Offerman. Right. Uh, but yeah, by the time I got but by the time we got to the end of it, it did feel like it was just getting too close to the video games that every episode before it was taking its own spin, its own turn, its own like unique um, perspective on the last of us video game into this TV series only for it to get the end, just go, no, we're going to do a one for one shot. You can't deviate it. We want it to be exactly because I wrote it exactly like it. I wrote it perfect. The first time you're going to make it perfect. The the second time. Yeah. But I blame that more on the structure of how they plotted it out. I think that when you kind of, have only like what six seven episodes to really like establish an entire story mm-hmm. you do kind of lose that runway at some point you start running out of ra- road and you start being like ah we need to put all the rest of this somehow fit this all cram this in and i think that's more of a failure of how television perceived television especially is treated these days than it is of the story itself and so yeah i think it did suffer because of the structure of how it had to be written as opposed to what they wanted to do with it. But uh and for everyone anyone else out there who says that there weren't enough infected people out there, yeah. infected people weren't the monsters. It was right. the community and the people <laughs> that was a result of it. Were mean, the true yeah, monsters also, along the way. But also the real reason is because that's boring television. I don't want to watch constant fighting. If you want to do that, play the video game. There's more than enough <laughs> in, in there. Anyways. So let's stop talking about The Last of Us. All right. Let's start talking about The Last of Us, and let's talk about The Last Show. <laughs> um, Because this one got canceled. The last of these episodes. Yeah. So yes. this one, which I will title for the second year in a row, the best show that nobody watched, um, Single Drunk <laughs> Female. Um, yeah. I am probably the only person who really loves this show. I'm very sad that it's not coming back. It's on Freeform of all places. So, of course, nobody watched it. But the thing is, is hidden underneath like the the like the obscurity is I think a really compelling comedy drama that reminds me of kind of the peak of that kind of uh, format back in the 2000s. Like it's a show that a kind of show nobody really makes anymore where it's not quite prestige, but it's also not a sitcom. It's like somewhere in this dramedy, like amorphous blob in the middle. And I think it's really, really good at doing what it does. Um, the characters are so great. Like I like it's it, in that kind of same community like feeling is ultimately where I led to in the second season, like feeling about the show. It's like it feels like a very lived in world. All these characters are compelling. All these characters are funny. They're like they're got interesting perspectives, but they fuck up a lot. I mean, it's a show about an alcoholic. And so it makes sense that that's kind of the crux of its storytelling. And that's essentially what the show is. So yeah, your mileage may vary depending on how comfortable you are watching people fuck up. I tend to like it I because it makes me feel like better, I guess, about my own fuck ups. <laughs> I kind of look at like, oh, well, their life is pretty messed up. Like mine's not nearly as bad as this. And so, yeah, it's kind of a nice world to live in for 30 minutes every week. Um, but yeah. I, I think it says more about you than it says about the show. 
maybe maybe so but uh but yeah like i just really love the writing i think it's genuinely really funny when it wants to be and genuinely touching when it wants to be and they actually gave a lot of characters that were kind of just skated by in season one really compelling arcs in season two and yeah i'm very sad to see that they didn't get a season three because i would have loved to see what how these characters grew even further they just kind of planted seeds that i want to see become trees and i'm never going to see it and so yeah i will definitely miss it yeah uh i mean i think feel like you always have a show on your list that gets canceled that year <laughs> what does that say about me what happened to trio what happened to brilliant but canceled i'm saying words that nobody understands anyways let's move Luca, to converti <laughs> another yeah, one of those yeah we would add a whole net like that if trio still existed they'd have a block that was just tuca and birdie followed by single drunk female followed by all those other shows that i loved and everybody forgot <laughs> anyways let's move on to number two i'll be brief about these two because we already talked about them uh number number two is poker face uh, you've already said pretty much everything there is to be said about the show. G- great mysteries, like every week, compelling characters, a really like strong, like, will she get out of this mystery that ends up kind of kind of being resolved at the end, but still open the door enough for there to be more. A great character. Natasha Leone is just so compelling in this role. Like, I love every second. She just chews that scenery and just like camera just loves her. She's such a like interesting person, such a quirky, like crazy, like like character that you're just like, yeah, I want to see, I want to follow this lady around. I just want to be around this lady. She just seems so cool. And then everybody around her then has to like pump up their acting, like to meet that. Like you have like great performances by Adrian Brody of all people in the pilot. You have, as you mentioned, ben- Benjamin Bratt's performance throughout. Yep. You even have future Oscar winner. I'm calling my shot right now. Uh, Charles Melton like acting his head off in that episode that was the first kind of hint we got at what he ends up doing in May December late in the year we were like oh wow this guy can act like turns out Charles Melton there's something to this guy and yeah we all saw it started here on Booker Face and it's just like man what a what a show you also had like Jason Gordon Levitt in here right. uh Nick Dolte in here mm-hmm. uh just these cavalcade of characters yeah uh just constantly like every new episode all right who are we going to bring in? Who's the new guest star? <laughs> right. It's Who's going to get killed? But and it's so it's it navigates a very tight, like a tight like an interesting tightrope there where that could be almost feel like showing like Ryan Johnson showing off. But yes. I think it's they enough of it is still good television that you're willing to forgive it for being a little bit like who's on my celebrity Rolodex this week, which it could have easily fell into. So as long as they keep that balance in season two, I am so excited to see more of Poker Face. It's a great show. Yep, and I don't think we'll have to wait long for season two. No. Then lastly, of course, you knew this was going to be my number one because I couldn't stop talking about it a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it on the regular show. Got I mean, you can off. you can <laughs> kind of say um, recency bias, but kinda. to be honest, Scott but... Pilgrim in itself is such like a a core establishment especially within our friendship and just right. our like yeah. style of comedy and writing yeah. and like love of movies and all it that already, stuff already yeah before i even watch takes off like this is already something that really means a lot to me and to see them make it even more relevant and breathe fresh air to it like i was saying earlier and change the perspective up it reminded me of all the things i like about it and presented to them in a form that i think made it even better 
Like, I think this is the best Scott Pilgrim thing, full stop. Like, the books are good, but they have their issues. The movie is good, but it has its issues. This, I've really struggled to find some issues with it. I think it's excellent storytelling throughout. I think the animation, like I said, is beautiful and incredible to look at. The performances are stellar. Like, and the themes that it touches on are so poignant and builds upon everything that the series already was commenting on. It was already a story about like about like relationships and what do we do in our in like how we manipulate people and how we forgive each other for these that manipulation, how we move on with our relationships. And it makes refreshes that even and brings more nuance to that and more context and different perspectives to that commentary. And by the end of it, it feels like, no, actually, this is the story of this of Scott Pilgrim. This is what we were actually talking about the whole time. And it really just enhances all of it that preceded it. It's just such an incredible show. And like, I hope they don't, I'm with you. I hope they don't make more of it because this should be a thing that we just hold on to forever. That is an in like by itself microcosm. It doesn't need to be expanded upon. It's, it is what it is. And that's, I think that it's a treasure. I think that we got that. I did not think we were going to get this year. Well, that's the thing, like, whenever you make a sequel to something, there has to be an inciting incident that triggers it. And to say, like, oh, Scott Pilgrim and Ramona Flowers are going to break up again and then have to, like, find out why they're getting back together feels kind of, right. like, contrited and, and true yeah. to, to the, like, the true story of, well, true story, but, like, the whole purpose <laughs> of the uh, of the comic books and even the movie itself. Yeah. Like, the story that they're trying to tell. Right. So, like, yeah, it's, like, such an interesting, unique thing. But above all, though, it's not on this list just because it's Scott Pilgrim. It's also the, like, wildest thing I saw all year. It's the funniest thing I saw all year. And it's the most touching thing I saw all year. So, yeah, it was going to be number one, even if it wasn't Scott Pilgrim. Like, that's how good this thing is. Like, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, that leaves us with uh, one to pick. I mean, do you need to argue about it? No, I mean, it could be Poker Face, but it sounds like just based on ranking alone in our own personal lists, it's one and two. Like, yeah, yeah like, I think Pilgrim. we can probably agree that, that that's our number one. Yeah. So we'll briefly run through some honorable mentions here yeah. uh, based on networks, starting with Netflix, as they had Pokemon to be a master. The finale is here. You can see the end of Ash Ketchum's journey all on a Netflix from start to finish, all 22 years of the 10-year-old. Disappointing, honestly, I'll be honest. I did not think that this cashed in on what I was hoping it would cash in on. I know, you're hoping Tim to wake up from the coma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, big letdown for me. I'm ready to just wipe this slate clean and move on to Horizons next year. Bring it on. Uh, We also had a bunch of new game shows from Netflix. Not from Netflix itself, but rather from overseas in Physical 100, which I mentioned before, uh, Cheat from the UK, and The Devil's Game. The Devil's uh, Game. From uh, <laughs> Korean TV as well. Um, they also have some good anime too, like Zom 100 and Pluto. And as you mentioned, a lot of people watching anime on Netflix. Yes. Uh, oh yeah, they also have Black Mirror this year. I thought about putting Black Mirror on my list, uh, but... When I went back to it, I was like, I don't really remember the episodes. And if I can't remember <laughs> the episodes just by thinking about it, maybe it wasn't that good of a season. Maybe not. Then we had the aforementioned newly changed Max, which, as you mentioned, started out good with The Last of Us. Uh, but then a lot of returning shows like Succession, Righteous Gemstones, 
Harley Quinn. They brought back Project Greenlight for some reason. For some reason, that happened. Yep. But hey, at least they had a double dosing of The weekend with his <laughs> live event at SoFi and The Idol. Boo, boo, that show sucks. Eh, you know, if you want sucks, go watch Naked Attraction. Naked Attraction is a way better show than The Idol. Let <laughs> me be the first to say this. Or Believe it or not, you... Naked Attraction isn't the one that I feel like like is is weird. You don't feel slimy watching, and like yeah, and I feel weird watching. No, it's not. It's actually the one that actually has positive things to say about sexuality and bodies, and I think actually does a good job of presenting that stuff. And then there's the idols. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Apple TV also had a lot of good stuff, as mentioned. Um, Ted Lasso season finale on there. Also watched Shrinking and The Big Door Prize, but really. If you're watching two shows on there, that is the after party, <laughs> which was our number one at one point, yeah, but disappointed really in two. Really fell off in season two, unfortunately. And then uh, more recently with Brie Larson, Lessons in Chemistry. I really like that show, but it's also based off a book and I kind of followed it a bit too closely. I think after I went and read uh, the synopsis for it, so. And like I said, if you have children or if you're a child at heart, Shape Island on Apple TV Plus. That's my recommend for you. Check mm-hmm. it out. Uh, Peacock, as mentioned, you should only be watching uh, Poker Face. Otherwise, they got a bunch of TV or movies on there. Um, originals, you know, Twisted Metal got a second season. The Traders got a second season. If you were you're interested in those as well, um, Hulu only movies in the building, not on our list. What the hell? No. Barely made my, it was my number six, so it was just beneath uh, Abbott Elementary. But yeah, good season this uh, this year for Only Murders. What we do in the shadows, the finale, not on your list. Uh, it wasn't the last season, but it's going to continue. Uh, I but, thought that was the last season. No, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, uh, pretty strong year for what we do in the shadows, but it also didn't make my list because it wasn't as strong as some of the best seasons of the show, which the last two. So so yeah, uh, but still, still probably one of the funniest shows on TV. Uh, speaking of funny, if you're into this kind of humor, the future on revival back at least the first ten episodes of their twenty contracted. Uh, then they had some different, rel- relatively specials like the history of the world part two, class of oh nine, uh, the golden bachelor, Riverdale. Not yes. on your list. Shout out to the finale of Riverdale. <laughs> I wanted to include Riverdale on this list at some point. It's like probably like number eight or nine. Uh, but yeah, they nailed the finale somehow out of completely nowhere they've managed to wrap up all the loose ends and that in itself should be commended and then don't forget the double dose of special jeopardy not regular jeopardy not syndicated nice. jeopardy no jeopardy masters and celebrity jeopardy yeah celebrity jeopardy has been a fun time i'm glad the, to see that kind of keeping cranking on yeah. and over on disney plus show i kind of wanted to put on my list at the beginning of the year but ultimately didn't make it. Muppets Mayhem. Love the concept of the show. Loved what it's they right. did with it. It's okay. <laughs> I, it's, it's my kind of comedy. Sure. It's, it's right up my alley. But ugh, I couldn't I couldn't justify putting it on my list though. Yeah. Um same with a small light. Really liked it. Same with uh Star Wars Visions and Haley's on it. Yes, Haley's on it. One, probably the best Disney uh, animated show right now in their lineup. 
Mm -hmm. in a lineup that's kind of decimated because everything kind of ended. But yeah, Haley's on it. Great show. It's really, really funny. I think that it's really good. It's just, yeah, it didn't quite get up there to make my list this year. I think some people may be shocked to see that both The Mandalorian, Loki, and Ahsoka, not on my list, uh, for various reasons. Uh, But last, I'll say about Disney+, Plus, they did have that one the one Sunday they did <laughs> Toy Story Fun Day football, and, let's and now, that chaos of a mess. And let's not let's now remove that from our brains like it never even happened. <laughs> All right, so let that okay. with those honorable mentions. Let's wrap up our end of the year list because yes. you have Abbott Elementary at number five, mm-hmm. The Last of Us at number four, Single Drunk Female at number three, Poker Face at number two, and Scott Pilgrim takes off as your number one show. Yes, and your list, starting at number five, was Ted Lasso, inexplicably. Four, Poker Face, not high enough. Three, Fall of House of Usher. Yeah. Number two, Scott Pilgrim takes off. And then number one, Cousin the Bear. Heard. <laughs> yes, Chef. <laughs> yes, Chef. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that does it for the year-end wrap-up on the Media Boat Podcast for television. But don't worry, folks, we'll be back next week for movies and get ready for this one because, oh boy, this will probably be the best top fives we've done in movies in a long time because we actually watched some movies. We watched a lot of movies and they were good. Like, let's There's talk a about lot of good movies next week. Yeah. Um, Coming off of COVID, this was actually a year of good movies, but we will get back. Yeah, but we will get to that in the next episode. Uh, We will have our regular scheduled episode coming up on Tuesday in the meantime. Yes. But be on the lookout next week for our end of the year show on movies. Yes. Unless you're in the future, (laughs) in which case you can listen to it right right now. now.